0: I typically do this almost every year after Easter. Why? Because it's the way things played out in Scripture. Um, and I want to start on a message today. Um, I'm definitely not going to finish it today. I thought I might, but I'm definitely not now. And uh, so I'm not even going to try. Um, but Easter is a just a tremendous celebration for us as believers. Uh, we get to celebrate the death, the burial, and of course, we get to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. And that's not the end of his story. And it's not the end of our story. Um, you know, and it's important that we realize that. And so even as we were talking last week and looking at things, Dara told me, she said, man, you kind of went Bible study last week. Kind of went pretty heavy on the scriptures. And I was like, I know, I'm aware. And uh, so she told me to tone it down a little bit. She's not in here, so I can say that. And it's not even being recorded, so I can't get in trouble. And, uh, hey, hey. and uh, so I might act up a little bit more today. I don't know. and Because uh, it'll just be your word my word, so we'll see. No, but... Um, <laughs> Now, when I was talking last week about Jesus being the ultimate Passover lamb, and so I was really uh, comparing him to the Old Testament where we see uh, what, what he did and really what the lambs in the Old Testament uh, really represented, the lambs and the goats and the Passover and all of those things. And really the Passover is the setup throughout Scripture for what we call and what we refer to as Pentecost. It's another festival that the Jews would celebrate. It was 50 days after Passover, and it was actually the celebration of harvest. How many of you like harvest time? It's a lot better than sowing time, isn't it? And uh, I, I like reaping time. Sowing time's not always as, or uh, sowing is not always as fun. And so the truth is, is that as part of Easter, what we celebrate as Easter is resurrection, is that Jesus dealt with our sins and our sickness. That's why we receive communion. That's why his body is broken for us. Why? Because that's paid the price for our healing. His blood was shed for the forgiveness of our sins. It also solved our separation problem. Uh, when you see Adam and Eve, when they when sin entered the picture, what happened? They got the boot out of the garden, right? God says, hey, I got to get you out of here. And, and really, he told him. he said, look, the day that sin enters, and it's kind of a twofold word, he says, in dying, you will die. In other words, not only would they physically die, that they would spiritually become dead. And so when we come, when we, when we get saved, there's resurrection that happens. It's really us coming back to life, Uh, the, let me say it this way. It comes back to our original life that God wanted us to have all along. And so we're born dead into sin. We're born into really without an option, if you will. And yet Jesus offers us the way out. And and so it's important that we understand these things. And and so what do you do after Easter though? What do you do after resurrection? It's like, okay, I'm saved. Now what? Like I'm going to heaven. Cool. So is my life going to change? Is it going to be different? Well, that depends. A lot of people get saved and they're no different. Their life never changes. Things never shift. Things never change. They just kind of go back to being the same old person that they were. They just can now say, well, I believe I'm going to heaven. Well, that's hopefully. Hopefully that's true. And you're like, well, what do you mean? People aren't getting saved. Well, that's between them and the Lord, number one. But I see it this way is in Scripture is that when people met Jesus, they changed. And they did. And Jesus actually talked about this quite a bit, uh, even in preparation for us. And so, um, you know, and so, but it's not just something that we do in and of ourselves. And so I want to walk you through a few things this morning uh, about this. And so we're just going to start in the book of Acts chapter 1. We're going to read a couple verses here in the beginning um, of Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 1. Uh, so Luke actually wrote the book of Acts so the book the gospel of Luke the same writer and so he's writing a second letter and it says in my first book I told you which is what we call the gospel of Luke and he says Theophilus about everything that Jesus began to do and teach until the day that he was taken up into heaven after um, giving his chosen disciples further instructions through the Holy Spirit says during the 40 days after he suffered and died Jesus appeared to the apostles from time to time and he proved himself in many ways that he was clearly alive and so even when we're looking at uh the resurrection of jesus he didn't just get off the cross and go to heaven and disappear the bible says there was a 40 day period where he would show up and there are several accounts in the scriptures about this where he would show up in different places and you know like with thomas and thomas is like look i'm not going to believe unless i put my finger in his hand and i put my fist in his side and jesus is like here you go okay and he even told thomas he said thomas you're good be because you've seen, but how blessed are those who believe and haven't seen? And that's really would be who we are, is that I've never seen the nails in Jesus' body. I've never seen the, you know, but I believe. Why? Because of what the Word of God tells me. And, and he says here, and I would love to know, I mean, the Bible doesn't really give us much detail, but it says that he proved to them in many ways. Now, my assumption is, is I believe he probably took them through the Old Testament. And said, "Hey, that verse, yeah, that's about me. That lamb, that was me. This, that's me. The bright and morning star, that's me." And I believe he took them through the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament, they didn't call it that. It would have been through the scrolls and basically introduced them to who he had who God had always said he would be. And said, "Hey, I was born right here. What not?" It says it right there, didn't it, guys? And then he proves that he's alive to them. And so, and then in the last part here of verse three, it says, And he talked to them about the kingdom of God. And this is important to understand because, uh, in the day in which, and most of you probably know this, but in case you maybe you haven't heard this, it's important to know, is that when Jesus came to the earth, the Jewish people believed that he was going to rule like like what we would call like a president. He was going to set up his kingdom and they would no longer be under the tyranny or the authority of a foreign government. Uh, That's really what they thought. And so when they thought Jesus was coming, they thought like David was coming in riding on a horse and it's time to throw down. It's time to go to war. It's time to to really fight for our independence. And as Americans, we love independence, don't we? And, uh, you know, and and that's what they thought. And so even when Jesus um, went through all that he went through, they thought in some ways that the story was over. But then all of a sudden he shows up, resurrected, and they're like, oh, maybe this is just, maybe that was hit hit the pause button in the story. Now we're going to pick it back up and let's get to the overthrowing of the government because now it's our time. This is our moment. And but yet Jesus began to speak to them and talk to them about the kingdom of God and really what is the kingdom of God? Number one, it's not a physical thing. The Bible says that the kingdom of God is within us, um, and, and so. But ultimately, you can define the kingdom of God as this: it's God's rule and reign. In other words, where does God have authority? That's His kingdom. And, and so Jesus begins talking to them though about the kingdom, and he begins uh, you know really to give them instructions, and so. I love that, that he says these things, and we celebrated Easter. We've celebrated, and really what I believe Jesus was doing was he was telling the disciples, hey, this isn't the end of the story. Like, I've resurrected, and, and you guys have a script for the way things are going to go, but it's not going to go that way. Jesus actually tried to tell them that. I'll show you one example many times um, throughout the Scriptures. But I believe what he was doing during these 40 days was reminding them that they still had an assignment. Like Jesus rose from the dead, He's glorified. I mean, we've seen these magnificent, miraculous, spectacular things happen, and Jesus is trying to remind them, "Hey, there's still a job to be done, there's still something to be accomplished." And so, in Luke chapter 19, you can—I'm not going to read any of this, but I'm just going to quote one verse to you. But starting in verse 11 through 27, Jesus. Uh, is really giving a, a parable, which is just a story. So it's a story that illustrates a spiritual truth. And he basically gives a story about a, a young prince, possibly, I guess you could say, um, that he'd come into power, and so he comes back to some guys, and he says, hey, I'm going to leave some money with you. I've got to go back to home. I've got to go back to headquarters. I've got to go back, but I need you guys to control things while I'm away. In other words, keep things in order. And he gave them money and says, hey, do business, some translations say, do business for me, just like I was here. Uh, The New King James says it this way. He says to occupy until I come. In other words, make my presence known while I'm not here. Enforce what I need done, even though I'm not in this place. The New King James says it this way, do business till I come. That's actually our assignment for every one of us. What do we do after Easter? We occupy until Jesus comes back. We're his representatives. We're to, to represent for him. And so you could say it this way. Is that, um, that what this prince did was tell these servants of his. He says, hey, represent while I'm away. Now you take that word represent and break it down. It means R-E, present. So present again. So we're supposed to be presenting Christ to those around us in our day-to-day lives. That's actually every one of our assignments. You're like, oh, well, I'm, I'm not a people person. It's your assignment. People don't even like me. It's your assignment. Why? Because it's the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is all about reaching people. And it is our assignment from the Lord. And so this is important for us to understand. But if we're going to represent Jesus, if we're going to present him to other people, then we need to ask ourselves a question. Well, then how did Jesus do what Jesus did? Because the Bible tells us very clearly, although he was God, he laid aside all authority, all ability... Right? He took off his robe, if you will, of royalty and laid it aside. And the Bible says that he became human just like we are. Hebrews tells us that he had the same issues and frailties just like we have, except he was without sin. That's what the Bible says. Right? That's what made him a spotless lamb. And so how can we as flawed people represent a perfect Savior? Kind of begs a big question, doesn't it? It's a challenge for us. And if we're honest, most of us are very intimidated by that challenge and frustrated by that challenge because we know us. And we think Jesus and we think me. Right? Jesus is way up here. But how many of you realize that Jesus didn't actually do everything that he did in his own ability? Because the Bible says he took off all of his godlike. Position, authority, ability, and he laid it aside. The Bible says that he came like a servant, is what it says. And so I believe that we have to ask that question. How are we going to show Jesus to those that we encounter unless we become like Jesus? And so, you know, I remember back a number of years now, many of you will know this reference, but there was a song that floated around like, I want to be like Mike, as in Michael Jordan. And man, I remember people buy shoes, everybody be dribbling like Michael, and everybody, you know, shooting their shot like Michael, right? For you younger people a few years ago. It was a new adaptation, which is if you were on the basketball court, people started screaming, Kobe. How I many of you know what I'm talking about? Because a lot of people would debate that Kobe Bryant was the closest thing to Michael Jordan. I'm not here for a debate. And some of you have no clue what I'm talking about. They're basketball players. <laughs> and you don't care and it's okay. No, but so if we look at how Jesus did what he did, I believe that we have to go back to kind of the beginnings of what we can see and what the Bible does tell us. And so let me ask you a question. When do you believe that Jesus' ministry actually began? Anybody got some guesses? What was When he was baptized. Anybody else got some guesses? Nobody else has a guess? What was it? When he was born? At the wedding of Canaan when he turned water into wine? When he was 12 at the temple? The Bible says that he astonished the religious elites as a 12-year-old. All very good answers. Here's my answer. Which somebody already said it. It was when he was baptized. Because there would be no wedding of Cana if there had not been baptism. There would have been no miracles. There would have been no signs and wonders. There would have been been nothing. Why? Because Jesus couldn't do it on his own. When he was baptized, the, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit came upon him. And so John the Baptist, we talked about him a little bit last week, but John the Baptist was a forerunner. He's one who came, declaring the way of the, preparing the way of the Lord, declaring that the King was coming. And so he baptized um, Jesus, and in John 3, 34, it says uh, that for he, being Jesus, is sent by God. This is John the Baptist speaking about Jesus. And so he's talking about, really about his baptism, what happened, all these things. And it says that he speaks God's word, for God gives him the Spirit without limit. Now, this is one area that I don't believe that we can just be like Jesus. Because I believe that he did have the Holy Spirit without measure, because he had no sin. He had no uh, hang-ups, if you will. Now, we can still be empowered by the Holy Spirit, and that's really uh, what I want to talk with you about this morning. And I believe that it's important because Jesus gave some instructions, and we'll look at these here in just a moment, that after his resurrection, he met with the disciples for 40 days. Off and on, he was showing up, talking to them, teaching them things, continuing to to show them things, but Jesus also knew that he did not teach them everything. Maybe he taught them everything, maybe they just didn't remember it. Got any teachers in the room? Like, we've been over this eight times, boys. Like, yes, we know. But Jesus gave some very specific instructions about what to do this side of the cross. And, and so here in Acts chapter we we're going to go back to Acts chapter 1. Jesus is back into the same conversation where it says that he was showing them clearly he was alive, teaching them about um, the kingdom of God. And in verse 4 it says, once he was eating with them, it says, and he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem... Until the father sends the gift that he promised. Do not pass go. Do not go anywhere. Do not move any further until the gift that God has promised you shows up. That's the instructions from Jesus. How many of you know that Jesus cannot lie? He has to be truthful. Why? Because if you lie, that's sin, right? And yet Jesus here tells them, and he gives them an instruction. He says, now, if somebody rose from the dead and said, hey, put your finger in my hand, are you going to believe them? Whatever you tell me to do, I'm probably going to do it. I'm, I'm like, yeah. And so Jesus gives them the instructions, and he says that John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. It says, so when the... Uh, Apostles, which just tells you their mindset. When the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? See, they thought we had unpaused the the button of the story and say, okay, now we're going to, now we're going to, Jesus, you're going to rule. Now you're going to reign. You're going to become our king. They were still looking at it from a natural perspective. You know, and I believe that, that we all are curious people. We all want to know. We all want the inside track. We want the inside scoop. We all want to, to have that insider info. And that's really, I believe, what they're doing. They're saying, hey, Jesus, you, you. we won't tell anybody. You ever had somebody like entrust you with a secret? Let me just help y'all out. Everybody got to tell at least one person. That's just human nature. I don't know what it is. Some of y'all are like, nope, I'm a vault. I'm going to take it to the grave. You're one of the rare ones. Like, I ain't no snitch. I could go somewhere with that, but I'm not. No, they're, they're expecting Jesus to, to be something and to kind of step into this role and all of a sudden take control and really start shaking things up naturally. And, and Jesus responds in verse 7. And he says that the Father alone has the authority to set the dates and the times and they are not for you to know. In other words, guys, y'all are asking the wrong question. Y'all are looking at the wrong thing. What did I just tell you? Don't go anywhere until... And y'all are asking me about setting up a kingdom. And how many times do we ask questions of the Lord? How many times are we inquiring of him about things that he doesn't even care about? Because it's not about what he wants. And so Jesus pulls it back in verse 8, and he says this. He says that you would receive power when the Holy Spirit would come upon you. And you will be my witnesses telling people everywhere about me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And so the whole idea here is that Jesus says, hey, I've provided salvation. I've purchased your salvation. I've purchased your healing. I've given you peace and joy. All that I have, I've given you. He says, but guys, you can't do what I'm asking you to do unless you do this. Unless you wait for the equipping and the empowering of the Holy Spirit. Because up to this point, the only thing that people had known, when you look at, especially in the Old Testament, that the presence of God, the power of God, you can call it whatever you want, the anointing of God would come on people for a moment, but it would lift. It didn't stay there. And that still happens in a degree, but there is a new thing that the Holy Spirit brings about in our life, which is the, uh, the abiding, the continual presence of God. This is something that Jesus could not do with the disciples. He had a physical body. He could only be with them when he was with them. But when he left them, they were not with him. Well, now the Holy Spirit is not limited to a physical body. He's a spirit. He is everywhere at all times. So even in your greatest moments, in your worst moments, the Holy Spirit's available to you. It's available to me. But the question becomes, am I going to look to him? Now, let me just help you in this today. And I was thinking about some this week as I was preparing. and You know, is that Jesus gives this instruction, but he, they knew nothing about what he was talking about. You know, here, I don't know, what six, six, eight months ago, I got a phone Actually, I got an email, not a phone call. I got an email telling me to book a flight for this date and show up. That was it. I'm a curious person. I don't like being told what to do, actually. I'm kind of independent. So I responded. Now I know this person, so it's not like some hacker from Africa trying to get some money. This is somebody I knew. And they just said, hey, I need you to book a flight. And I said, no. I want more information. Where are we going? I've never been to this city. I don't know anybody in this city. Why would I go here? No response. Now, I don't know about you. That irritates me. I need answers. I want details. I don't trust. No sir this instance it was no man but it was just ain't doing it and here jesus tells them and says hey now i'll just finish my story so you know somebody had actually prepaid for me to go to a pastoral retreat and all i had to do was show up that was it i didn't know that or i just went and bought a ticket But you know, in a similar way, Jesus has provided a way for the Holy Spirit for you. But you're not going to have all the answers. And the early church in the book of Acts had no clue what they were looking for. The Holy Spirit, what does he look like? We heard he looks like a a bird. People said, well, he descended upon Jesus. He looked like a bird. Well, how many of you know that's not the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit's a person. He's actually the Bible actually says that he's the Spirit of Christ. He's an exact duplicate. John 14 and John 16 talk about the Holy Spirit. If you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Holy Spirit. If you've seen the Holy Spirit, you've seen Jesus. The Bible actually says that the Holy Spirit will only speak what he hears from Jesus. Amen. In John 14, Jesus said that... if Well, I'm sorry, John 16. He tells the disciples, and we'll look at this verse here in a few moments. I'll give you the reference. He says, hey guys, it's actually better that I go away because if I don't leave, the Holy Spirit can't come. And yet, in their mind, they're like, well, that doesn't make any sense. We have the Savior of the world sitting in front of us, eating with us, talking with us, being with us, fellowshipping. How could it be better? Because the Holy Spirit would not be on the outside. The Holy Spirit would move in and take up residence on the inside. And so it's an important thing for us to understand, but, you, but I want you to hear. Because, I look, I'm an analytical person. I mean, I, I like to deconstruct things. I mean, when I was a kid, I took a TV apart to figure out how it worked. When I was probably my son's age, seven or eight years old, I took a bike completely apart. And when I say completely, I mean completely. There was not two things left together. If they were together, it's because they were welded. And when my dad got home, I had a box. I said, Dad, let's put my bike back together. And it was a new bike. We put that bike on the shelf and it never got put back together. Because so My dad's like, I ain't got a clue. And that same mentality in life for me comes into my spiritual life too. So many times I want to know the hows, the winds, the whats, how's this work. How, like, give me a schematic. Like, if you do A, B, C, D, E, and F, the Holy Spirit's going to move. I'll see you at F. Like, all right, Holy Spirit, where you at? That's not the way that it works. And Jesus gives them the instructions here is that, guys, go to Jerusalem and wait. For what? For who? How will we know when he shows up? I mean, like, are angels going to open the door and be like, welcome, the Holy Spirit from the Lord? Like, I mean, we kind of laugh, but it was pretty common for angels to show up during that day to people. Just so you know, angels still show up, by the way. The book of Hebrews says that we entertain angels and we're not even aware of it. Have no clue. Like, well, how will I know? You probably won't. Because the Bible says you would do it on a where, right? But how would they know? How how would they know when the Holy Spirit showed up and Jesus didn't answer any of their questions? I believe Jesus gave this instruction and just, actually, as a matter of fact, if you go read the book of Acts, it says that with that, Jesus ascended and they're like, that's it? (laughs) Where's the rest of the instructions? Like Jesus just mid-sentence, whoop. And they're standing there staring at the sky and an angel says, hey guys, what y'all looking at? And they're like, uh, we thought Jesus. But yet he had given them their next step. He told them, he said, guys, here's the next thing for you. Now, when Jesus gave this commandment, he gave it to roughly 500 people. This is Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 2. Which is approximately 10 days later. Um, The word Pentecost. You may say well what does Pentecost mean? It means 50. That's it. 50. That's what penta means. Cost. Dollar value. 50. Right? 50 days resurrection to Pentecost. Acts chapter 2 is the day of Pentecost. It's 50 days after resurrection. And that is the day that the Holy Spirit fell upon God's people in a new way now I know there's a lot of uh, can be a, depending on your background and your, your personality there's a lot of debate about if that was a one time event well, that's why you got to take in the whole council of scripture because the Bible talks about that—that um, that we number one, we need the presence of the Holy Spirit. You see the Holy Spirit throughout the New Testament; it did not cease with the apostles. Um, you're like, well, and we can have that conversation at another time if you would like. But quite simply, if the love of God, which is First Corinthians 13, has not ceased, then neither has the Holy Spirit, according to the Bible. And so we can we can choose. If we desire to pick and choose which parts of the Holy Spirit we want to engage with. Or we can just say, you know what? The Holy Spirit's from God and I want everything that He has for me. I don't have to understand it. And for my personality and for some of you, that's really hard. Because I want to know. I I want to understand it. I, I want to see it. And what I have found out in my life with God is that I would rather experience what God has for me than I would to understand it. And what happens is that the Holy Spirit can help me on the back end. To understand it. And so, this is important that we understand these things. So, one little truth for you here this morning. Is that Jesus never told us that we would receive power by believing in him. You will not find it in the scriptures. Jesus said, if you put your faith in me, you'll be saved. You'll be forgiven of your sins. There's all kinds of things that he did make statements about. But he never made the statement that said, hey, you're going to receive some power, some ability, something beyond yourself because you put your faith in me. What he did say is that you would receive power when the Holy Spirit came upon you, though. Jesus did say that. And so you can be saved and yet lacking the ability, the power to actually walk out your salvation in the fullness. Doesn't mean that you're not saved. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is that, you know, there may be some things that you deal with that, you have a, that you're struggling to get over because you know that it doesn't honor God. And yet you're struggling, struggling, fighting, doing your best, trying your hardest, and you just keep getting discouraged and frustrated. It might be because you're trying to do it by yourself and not tapping into the power of the Holy Spirit that Jesus said you need. I didn't say this. Jesus said, do not pass, go. Do not move until the Holy Spirit shows up. And so again, circle back. How are we going to know when he shows up? I think Jesus probably smirked and just, he didn't say it, but in my mind, Jesus probably said, you'll know. And then left. And this is important for us to understand. And so, uh, you know, so just because Jesus doesn't give all of our, just doesn't give us all the details And he didn't give them all the details, but what he did need from them was, number one, was their trust and their obedience. And he still needs the same thing from us, even without all the answers. That's why Jesus is Lord and not just Savior. Because when he's Lord, his instructions become assignments, not suggestions. Why? Because I've surrendered my life. I've surrendered my heart. I've surrendered everything that I am to him. Therefore, he's the big boss. And what he says goes in my life. And what I have found is when I don't do that and when I try to fight for my own way, things don't go well. And I make mistakes and and there's things that happen. I'm like, golly, why did I? It's because I wasn't listening to the Holy Spirit. I wasn't submitting to his ability in my life. Those areas of my life that I continue to struggle with, it's because I'm trying to fight a fight that the Holy Spirit wants to empower and equip me to do with his ability. Now, I know that, that people will quote Philippians four nineteen. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And it is true. But who's strengthening you? If you look at the whole council of Scripture, it's the Holy Spirit. It's not, Jesus is not in heaven doling out everything to everybody all the time. No, it's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Hebrews tells us that, um, that the Holy Spirit came to what? To be ministers to the body of Christ, to those who would believe in Christ. That's his job, that's his assignment. And, and so this is important that we understand this. In, in John 16, verse 12 through 13, Jesus talking to the disciples, this is pre-crucifixion. He says, there's so much more that I want to tell you, but you can't bear it right now. He says, when the spirit of truth comes, being the Holy Spirit, he will guide you into all truth and he will not speak on his own, but he will tell you what he has heard. And he will even tell you about the future. Verse 7 of of John 16 there is where Jesus makes the statement, it's best that I go away. He says, because if I don't, the advocate, the helper, the one who would come alongside to help you will not come. He says, but if I do go away, then I will send him to you. So we have confidence. Just like Jesus had proved to them that he was alive and resurrected from the dead, now he's making another promise. He said, guys, I'm going to be crucified, but I will Be risen in three days. Well, they knew all of that. And now Jesus is making a claim and making a statement. He says, if I go away, I will send the Holy Spirit to you. So this isn't like something that's for a select few. This is for anybody, really, anybody who wants and desires for the Holy Spirit to come. It's an invitation. It's free, just like salvation is. But you have to receive it. There's some obedience, and sometimes that obedience and that trust goes beyond what you're going to figure out in your mind. And that was the case for me. I mean, thankfully, God knew that I would do a terrible job of trying to live for him without the help and the assistance of the Holy Spirit. But there came a point where my desire to have more of God overwhelmed my desire to understand. And for some of you, you're going to have to get to that place. To really be able to surrender yourself to the help of the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm cutting out a lot. Just I'm trying to consolidate because we got started late today. So I'll continue some of this. I'll go in more depth next week. Um, but in John 7, Jesus makes the statement. And he says, Whoever believes in me, the scriptures have said that rivers of living water will flow from within him says, by this he meant the Spirit, being the Holy Spirit, whom those who believed in him were uh, later to receive. It says, up till then the Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. And so when Jesus appears in Acts 1 to them, he had been glorified. He had been resurrected from the dead. He'd gone, he had ascended to heaven. He had done what he needed to do. There he had returned. He's talking to them regularly. And so Jesus here tells them that, hey, that there's going to be a life that doesn't flow out of here. Our minds can be one of the greatest barriers to actually experiencing what God has for us. For me, it's probably the greatest barrier. And so I have to get to a place where I can kind of just, all right, Lord, I, I don't need to know. And I would hope that through the years I've gotten better at this, but maybe. It's, it's debatable. Depends on the day. But yet Jesus made the statement, and here when he talks about rivers of living water, that's the life of God. And he says, look, it's not going to come out of your head. It's going to come out of your innermost being. And it's going to flow up and bubble up from the inside of you. Why? Because where does Jesus live? I mean, you know, like If I went into our kids' church right now and I said, where does Jesus live? Most of those kids are going to say, in my heart. Right? Most of them. That's going to be their answer. Well, the kingdom of God is not external. It's internal. It happens in us. And so everything that God does starts within and works its way out. We see that pattern over and over again. And here Jesus talks about this. He says that, uh, that rivers of living water would flow from within them. And he's referring to the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The help of the Holy Spirit. Now, and I've said this many times. If you've heard me preach along these lines, you've heard me say this. And I say it, I, I try to make sure I say it every time. Is that the Holy Spirit does not make you Weird. People are weird, and they were weird before the Holy Spirit. And they try to blame their weirdness upon the Holy Spirit, and that just doesn't work. Because if Jesus, I'm sorry, if the Holy Spirit is just like Jesus, Jesus wasn't weird. People would walk up to Jesus, kids would walk up to Jesus, Jesus was very approachable. People were not put off by Him. Well, if He wasn't that way, then the Holy Spirit isn't that way. And so, you know, and I know the the mental struggle sometimes. Because, like, if I start talking about spiritual people, some of you have had some bad experiences. And you're thinking of some lady from your church that you grew up in. She's like, oh, Lord, here she comes. Let me give you a word from the Lord, baby. Like, oh, Jesus. Like, get me out of here. Which way can I go? Maybe she'll pray for somebody else and just not me. Or maybe you've been around people that are spiritual, but they crazy. That's just what they label it as. That's not the Holy Spirit. It's not. I don't see Jesus being strange and weird, yet he did miracles and signs and wonders and pretty remarkable things. If anything, Jesus downplayed what happened. Hey, don't tell anybody about this. Keep it to yourself. Go show yourself to the priest, but don't talk. And yet I believe that as believers many times that we're struggling with things, we're fighting through things, we're trying to overcome things, and we're doing everything that we know to do without really allowing the Holy Spirit to come in and help us. And yet Jesus' instructions to us post-resurrection don't go anywhere until the Holy Spirit shows up. Why? Because he's going to bring an ability and a power on the inside of you, that life that Jesus paid for, To come about into our life and into our hearts. And so this morning, I want to encourage you. I hope that I have uh, skipped over a bunch of stuff. We'll get into it next week. But I want you to hear this today. Is that you can absolutely have the ability of the Holy Spirit on the inside of you. And you don't have to jump through 15 hoops to do it. You don't have to go through 25 classes to get there. Now, I think there's something to be said for understanding things, but I also think that there's just a a certain level of, you just got to be hungry. you just got to want what God has for you. And there is an ability, an an equipping from the Holy Spirit that can happen in every one of our lives. And Jesus said, hey, don't go anywhere until you get it. It's that important. And if Jesus, who paid the price of my sins, who hung on a cross for me, who went to the grave for me, who was resurrected for me. If I can believe him in all of those things, how much should I also trust him in this other area? Because the enemy's done a really good job of trying to make this this part of the gospels very confusing. It's divided a lot of churches and a lot of people. It's probably one of the most debated things in scripture as far as a modern Christian goes. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is very divisive in the church, and yet the Bible's pretty clear about what God wants to do. And so I want to pray this morning over you. And I'm not going to give you any kind of altar call or anything today, because I'm going to teach some more next week, and we may, maybe two weeks more. But this is important. I mean, this is the thing that Jesus talked about after he was resurrected. It was all about the ministry and the the work of the Holy Spirit. And so uh, I would encourage you, go read Acts chapter 1, go read Acts chapter 2, go read John 14, go read John 16. These are all chapters that you either either specifically are told about the Holy Spirit or you see Him working. Because God wants to do more in you. He really does. But it's going to take, and it's not going to be figuring it out in your head. It's going to be just hey, God, I'm going to surrender to you. And so I'm going to pray this morning over you. We can go ahead and have the musicians come back up. Um, But I want to pray just simply over you. Just that the Holy Spirit's going to begin to speak to you and show you things in Scripture because you don't need me to teach you. I mean, I can help point you in a direction, but the Holy Spirit can help lead you, direct you, speak to you too. It doesn't have to come through me. And sometimes it's better if it don't come through me. Because the Holy Spirit speaks, it confirms it in your heart. I just want to whet your appetite a little bit. And so I'm going to pray this morning.